The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Hello, I'm Kimberly King and welcome to the Mother's Market Radio Show, a show dedicated to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the human condition. On today's show, we delve into the world of adaptogens, a world so vast we won't be able to cover it in just one show. So listen close and find out how these herbal remedies can help you. It's part one of adaptogens. Plus, later we'll tell you what's going on around town and what's new at Mother's Market. But first up, David Winston is an herbalist and ethnobotanist with 47 years of training in Cherokee, Chinese, and Western herbal traditions, has been in clinical practice for 40 years, and is an herbal consultant to physicians, herbalists, and researchers throughout the USA and Canada. In 2013, David was presented with the Natural Products Association's Clinician's Award and awarded a fellowship by the Irish Register of Herbalists. David is the founder and director of the Herbal Therapeutics Research Library and the dean of David Winston's Center for Herbal Studies, a two-year training program in clinical herbal medicine. He is the president of Herbalist and Alchemist Incorporated, a manufacturer that produces herbal products that blend the art and science of the world's herbal traditions and used by many practitioners. He's also the author of several books, including Adaptogens, Herbs for Strength, Stamina, and Stress Relief. And we welcome him to the Mother's Market Radio Show. David, how are you? I'm wonderful, and thank you for having me today. (laughs) It's nice to have you here. Why don't you fill our audience a little bit in on your mission and work before we get to the show today? Well, my mission and work. You know, when I first started studying herbal medicine was in the back in the late 1960s. And at the time, all my friends were interested in one herb. And I was interested in all the other ones. (laughs) And, you know, we were coming out of, at that point, what I would call the herbal dark ages. Herbal medicine, for the most part, ceased to exist in the United States, with the exception of a small number of ethnic communities. And at a very young age, I fell in love with herbs. I just fell in love with this idea that you could go out into the woods and find plants that were edible and medicinal, and you could use them for health care. And so... Over the last 30 or 40 years, myself and my friends who have helped to create this, what we'll call herbal renaissance in the United States, in some ways we've been more successful than we ever imagined. I used to get all these phone calls. People call me up and say, what's this herb, Echinacea? <laughs> I don't get those calls anymore. Everybody's heard of Echinacea. Everybody's right. heard of St. John's Ward. Everybody's heard of turmeric or saw palmetto. The problem is certain herbs have become popular herbal medicine has not. And so most people, most Americans think herbal medicine is using St. John's wort instead of Prozac. That's allopathic use of herbs. Really good or great herbal medicine focuses less on treating diseases and more on treating people. Hippocrates said more than 2,000 years ago, it's more important to know the person that has the disease than the disease the person has. He was right. And so my dream, my goal, is that I hope within my lifetime to see a time where herbal medicine regains its place, its rightful place, as part of mainstream American culture. It's no longer out in left field. It's not complementary. It's not alternative. It is something that everybody knows about. I hope to see a time where every mom and dad and grandmother and grandfather knows basic kitchen herbal medicine for their families, for simple self-limiting conditions, where there are community herbalists in every community and clinical herbalists in every clinical setting. Because I honestly believe that really well-done herbal medicine could be one of the things, and maybe only a small part, but one of the things that actually can help create a sustainable practice of medicine here in the United States. Because as we all know, our medical system is under incredible stress. It is not sustainable. The most expensive medical 
system in the world, yet we rank far behind in life expectancy and uh, infant mortality and in rates on every health measure, we rank way down on the lists. And so I'm not saying herbs have all the answers, but what I will say is that where herbal medicine is strong, orthodox medicine tends to be weak, and where orthodox medicine is strong, herbal medicine tends to be weak. So it's not an either-or situation. It's which is most appropriate in a given situation. And I think herbs can offer tremendous benefits for people, but we need to educate people. We need to educate them so they understand how to use herbs appropriately. Very nice. I like your um, I like your passion, and thank you thank for you. Um, being our guest today. Can you um, can you talk a little bit about? Well, this is what we're talking about: is ad- adaptogens, and what do they do? Well, one of the types of herbs that I think is really appropriate for today are these herbs called adaptogens, mm-hmm. and adaptogens, herbs that are adaptogens have been used throughout history in all the world's great herbal traditions. So Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine from India, Yunani tip from the Middle East, all of them have herbs that were considered to be great restorative tonic remedies, but they weren't called adaptogens. The initial research on adaptogens starts basically in the old Soviet Union uh, around 1947. And eventually, the word adaptogen is coined in 1961 by Professor Breckman, Israel Breckman. And while the initial reason for the research was not benign at all, the Soviet Union was trying to develop better soldiers, better cosmonauts, better you know, workers so that they could bury the West, as, they, uh, as Khrushchev had said. The reality is, is that eventually that research, which initially was highly classified, um, became public. And we can benefit from that information. And adaptogens is the term coined to describe herbal medicines that help an organism to adapt to a wide variety of stressors. So it doesn't matter whether the stress is physiological stress, meaning from overwork, whether it is psychological stress, whether it is temperature stress, noise stress. Irregardless of the underlying cause of the stress, adaptogens help the organism, in this case us, help us to adapt more appropriately to that stressor. Initially, I would also state that adaptogens work basically, um, they are non-toxic in normal therapeutic doses, and they have a sort of self-re-regulating effect on the overall organism, what's called a tropho-restorative effect. They help to rebalance tissue, organ function, and uh, physiology within the body. More recently, Dr. Panosian and Dr. Wagner, who are probably the two greatest experts on adaptogens today, they have further determined that adaptogens work through two primary control systems in the body. One is called the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, and this controls almost all endocrine function in the body, a lot of our immune function as well as nervous system function, and what's called the SAS, the sympathoadrenal system, and this is the fight or flight syndrome. Mm. So basically these are the two systems in our body that control both dealing with acute stress as well as Uh, chronic stress. And the most recent research shows adaptogens are also doing one additional thing, and they are working on a cellular level. So not just are they affecting these control systems in the body, they're actually affecting the individual cells. And what they are doing is upregulating what are called forkhead proteins, uh, uh, heat shock proteins, and something called neuropeptide Y. What these things do when we are under chronic stress 
chronic stress causes chronic elevation of cortisol in the blood. Cortisol suppresses a lot of things, including mitochondrial function. The mitochondrial are the engines of our cells. So it is no wonder for people who are chronically stressed out develop conditions like chronic fatigue, immune deficiency syndrome, and fibromyalgia, where they have absolutely no energy. And you know, their, you know, their big event of the day is getting out of bed, going to the bathroom, and getting back into bed. So by upregulating these compounds, it actually prevents stress-induced mitochondrial dysfunction. So adaptogens do all of these things. And because they affect a wide variety of cellular mediators and receptors in the body, then they have all these secondary effects. So some adaptogens also are antidepressant. Many adaptogens also enhance immune function, helping to re-regulate the immune system. Other adaptogens enhance digestion. Other adaptogens have anti-inflammatory activity because they're affecting so many systems in the body. Wow. So, um, so can you give an example? So you, um, you, that was a, uh, that was a great answer, but <laughs> you, so what are some examples of some, uh, adaptogenic herbs? All right. So, so probably the first adaptogenic herb that I learned about was Chinese or Asian ginseng. And by the way, there's Asian ginseng, is Chinese ginseng, Korean ginseng. They're the same plant. They just come from two different countries. Okay. And that was one that even when I first started studying herbs back in the late 1960s, everybody had heard of ginseng. And so ginseng is an adaptogen, whether it be the Korean or the Chinese or the white ginseng, the red ginseng. And again, same plant, just different processing. So ginseng is an adaptogen. American ginseng, which is a related plant, is an adaptogen. Probably the most researched adaptogen is in a plant that once upon a time was called Siberian ginseng, but it's no longer called that commercially. It's now known as Eleuthero, and the Latin name is Eleutherococcus centicosis. We have... Other herbs from India, from the, in the Ayurvedic tradition, we have adaptogenic herbs like ashwagandha. We have Ayurvedic herb, uh, herbs like holy basil, which is an adaptogen. And so uh, there are a wide variety of herbs that are adaptogen. There are about a dozen plants that we know absolutely are adaptogens. There's probably another dozen plants that we believe are adaptogens. The evidence is not quite as good. And then there's probably 20 or 30 plants beyond that that are possible adaptogens. Some people think they are, but the, the evidence just isn't that great. And the reality is, is because the research is rather limited, there used to be a lot of research, but the amount of research occurring today is somewhat more limited. I would bet you eventually we'll discover there are probably several hundred plants that are adaptogenic. We just know that initially there's about a dozen that we can say absolutely are adaptogens. So um, you've been quoted cautioning against thinking of and using herbs allopathically. Um, like St. John's wort is the depression herb. Why are these formulas generally more effective? All right, so when we look at herbal traditions, Again, whether we're talking about TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda from India, Kampo from Japan, Yunani Tib from the Middle East, uh, Jammu from Indonesia, um, Siddha from Sri Lanka, all these traditional systems of medicine, one of the things they have in common is this idea of synergy. And synergy means that if you properly combine herb A and herb B together, you get an exponential effect. So one plus one no longer equals two, one plus one equals three or four. And I would also mention there is the idea of anti-synergy or antagonism, where if you put the wrong things together, one plus one equals one. 
All these ancient traditions um, believe and recognize that when we are dealing with a complex human being who has complex problems, the most appropriate way to treat them are really complex formulas. So in America, we have this concept of using herbs as single entities, you know, what are called simples. And so you see a lot of people talking about, oh, St. John's word is the depression herb. Well, I had to tell you, but it is most definitely not. Of the more than 14 types of depression, St. John's word really only works well for three. Um, we, people talk about black cohosh is the menopause herb. No, it's not. There are way better things for menopausal symptomology than black cohosh. Or salt palmetto is the prostate herb. There are more effective things for benign prostatic hyperplasia than salt palmetto. But the, in ancient traditions, what they always recognized... And this was probably trial and error over thousands of years. They recognized that when you used herb A and herb B together, it worked better. So I'll give you a great example. There are two herbs. These are not adaptogens. They're called frankincense and myrrh. And, you know, most herbs you hear of, when people say garlic, people don't say, oh, garlic and cinnamon. No, you don't hear that. But frankincense and myrrh, you must always hear together. Why? Well, in a recent study, they found out that, uh, and they knew this, but they were looking at it, um, frankincense's activity, and it is anti-inflammatory and analgesic. It relieves pain. They looked at myrrh. It's analgesic and anti-inflammatory. But when they gave the two together, the effects were exponentially stronger. Not just a little stronger, a lot stronger. And so ancient people recognized that if I give these two things together, they just work better. So in all these traditions, you have this idea of using either a duo of herbs or what would be, I would call a triplet of herbs, a trio of herbs that are almost always used in combination because people have recognized over millennia that you get a greater, stronger effect. So one of the things we need to do to educate Americans how to use herbs properly is to get them to stop thinking about you, this herb is good for this disease and think more about who has the disease. Who is the person I am dealing with? So, and then understanding that intelligently designed formula, and an intelligently designed formula doesn't mean that you just take an herb, this herb, and that herb, and this herb, and that herb, and throw it together. That's what's called garbage can pharmacy. You know, you're just throwing a whole bunch of stuff together and hoping something works. It's always based on this traditional idea of synergy. You, at the base of your formula, you have these two herbs or three herbs that have been used together for millennia and been shown and proven to have increased efficacy. Wow, that's a really great formula. And I, and I like the way that you are working with who has this disease. So mm -hmm. a whole new way of, of thinking about things. Um, let's talk a little bit about... Um, are there other types of herbs that work well with adaptogens? Well, yes, absolutely. And so even if we're using necessarily, we may use more than one adaptogen to, you know, really fit the person we're working with, it's also important to recognize that there are other herbs that play a very significant role when you're using adaptogens. So for instance, there are, and, you know, some adaptogens are stimulating, some adaptogens are calming. Some adaptogens are moistening, some are drying, some are heating, some are cooling. So there's all different types of adaptogens. And depending on what you're trying to do, so if you have somebody who is hyperactive, anxious, irritable, insomnia, you're going to want to use some of those calming adaptogens, and then you're going to want to use them with herbs called nervines. And a nervine is not a sedative. A nervine is a nerve tonic. It helps to reestablish that emotional foundation. It helps to basically calm people down, but it doesn't make you sleepy. It doesn't make you tired. It just helps you to sort of 
dial it down a couple notches so that you feel more relaxed. So an adaptogen with a nervine for somebody who is tense, nervous, just can't relax, works great. On the other hand, if you have somebody who's really deficient and depleted and fatigued all the time, then you might want to use um, adaptogens with herbs called nootropics. It's N-O-O-T-R-O-P-I-C-S. And nootropics are cerebral stimulants. They're also neuroprotective herbs. So then you might have an herb like bacopa or gotacola that stimulates cerebral circulation. Hence, there's also a feeling of increased energy. And there you'd use your stimulating adaptogens along with the nootropics. If you have somebody who is really deficient and depleted, uh, maybe they're really thin, uh, they've been sick and they can't gain weight back, uh, they, again, no energy, then you might want to use adaptogens, what I would call nutritive tonics. And there are a lot of herbs that are nutritive tonics that people think are adaptogens, like maca root. Maca, there's no evidence it's an adaptogen, but it is definitely a nutritive tonic. Or goji berry, which is a nutritive tonic. Or the Chinese herb astragalus. These are all nutritive tonic herbs, and so they work really well with adaptogens, but all the evidence we have says they're not adaptogens. But they're nourishing and nutritive either to the whole body or to specific organs or tissue. So it, the herb astragalus is especially nutritive to the immune system, to the lungs, and to the kidneys, for instance, hmm. and the heart. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is great information, and I like that it's um, you're really personalizing it for each patient that you're working with. Um, uh, we're going to have to take a quick break, so don't go anywhere. More information when we come right back. Stay with us. Looking for healthier snack options? Mother's Market sources organic and non-GMO small batch, high quality, great tasting nuts, dried fruits, snacks, and candy. The goal? To provide you the highest in quality snacks while also offering high nutritional value. Fan favorites include non-GMO peanut butter pretzel bites, organic dried mango slices, and organic dark chocolate peanut clusters. Stop into your local Mother's Market today to explore all the varieties and pick some up to try for yourself. Let's talk menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These shouldn't be taboo topics. They're the normal life phases we move through as women. And Solaray delivers support every step of the way with Her Life Stages. The first of its kind, comprehensive new supplement line offers doctor formulated solutions at each stage with clinically backed ingredients you can count on. Own the stage. Buy Solaray at Mother's Market today. And welcome back to the Mother's Market Radio Show. And we want to remind you that if you've missed any portion of today's show, you can find us on iTunes by searching Mother's Market or download the show from our website, mothersmarket.com. Click the link for radio and listen to the past shows. Plus, download our healthy recipes and money savings coupons, all available at mothersmarket.com. And now back to our interview with herbalist David Winston. And we're talking about adaptogens, and this is very interesting. So thanks for being with us. So, uh, David, I wanted to find out about um, adaptogens. and Would you recommend them for men and women, and can you explain the difference? Well, you know, a lot of people think that have this idea that there are men's herbs and women's herbs. That's not true at all. I mean... Um, we are the same species, and so therefore, although sometimes people think not, but we are. <laughs> and so the reality is is that an herb that works in a woman would work on the, any analogous tissue in a man and vice versa. But having said that, there are certain herbs that are, tend to be used more for men or more for women, but there are some interesting exceptions to that as well. I'll give you an example. 
I told you before that one of the first adaptogens I learned about was Asian ginseng. And the reputation that Asian ginseng had, especially back in the late 60s, was that it was good for men. Okay, it was a man's herb, you know, and it made men virile. Now, I knew that um, red ginseng or ginseng was an adaptogen, and I never thought that its effects on male reproductive function were really real in the sense of a direct effect. I always assumed that because it's an adaptogen, and adaptogens affect endocrine function, and certainly testicular function is part of endocrine function, I assumed that that's why they worked. So I always thought that its effect on you know, uh, enhancing erectile function, for instance, was an old wives' tale. Well, it turns out I was wrong. And I'm actually, in many cases, I, I, you know, some people, I guess, don't like being wrong, but that means you also learn something new. Right. And over the last about eight years out of uh, South Korea, there have been about five or six human clinical trials showing that red ginseng definitely enhances erectile function. And it's not a secondary effect. It's a primary effect. And so, you know, I should have known because who would have known better than the old wives? <laughs> so anyway, but, in, in, you know, so, okay, now it's confirmed it's a man's herb. Mm. But more recently, there's research showing that it also enhances libido in postmenopausal women. Mm. So it's not a men's herb. It's not a woman's herb. It can affect both sexes. Um, we have another herb that's long been thought of as a male herb. Again, this is ashwagandha with Thania somniferum, which comes from India. And everybody, you know, it's used again for men. It increases sperm count and sperm motility, and it's used for enhancing male fertility. And a study came out literally in the last month showing that ashwagandha also enhances what's called female uh, sexual dysfunction. Um, so... There aren't necessarily herbs that are specific to men or women, but there are some herbs like the herb Shatavari, also known as Shatavari. And uh, this is asparagus racemosus. It's an Ayurvedic herb. And even though it could be used for men or women, I tend to use it much more for women. And so it's used for many things. It's used for women with um, fertility issues. It is used for women with things like postmenopausal vaginal dryness. Um, Shatavari is also used for women who are deficient and depleted and tired. And so there is an herb that, yes, I do tend to use it more for women, but it is not just a woman's herb. It could be used for men as well. What about, uh, let's talk about uh, for athletes. Well, one of the wonderful things about adaptogens is none of them are banned substances. So for people who are athletes, <laughs> and, you know, having been in clinical practice for 40 years, over the years I've had a lot of professional athletes. And, you know, uh, my practice used to be in New Jersey, and so I had, uh, I've had patients over the years who were members of the New York Giants and the uh, what used to be the New Jersey uh, Nets, uh, professional triathletes. Uh, and so none of these substances are banned. That's first off, that's a good thing. Yeah. Secondly, the reality is, is athletes put themselves under incredible stress. I mean, you know, the, these are people who are pushing their body to the max. And so adaptogens help in, can help athletes in a number of ways. Number one, with overtraining, you can get immune depletion. 
With overtraining, you get elevated cortisol levels, and as we said, cortisol has a whole range of problems, increasing obesity, decreasing digestive function, reducing circulation, uh, increasing blood sugar levels, increasing insulin levels, all these things that you do not want. So adaptogens, number one, are going to help when you are performing. It's going to help you to perform better. Um, and then it's also going to help in the recovery phase. Mm. And the other thing is, is that what we noticed, like for instance, I'm thinking about one of um, uh, my clients who was a world-class triathlete, and we put her on a protocol, and her times, you know, when, when that level of an athlete, when their times improve fractions of seconds, they're happy. Yeah. We improved her times by minutes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She had one time, she was the top in her age group in the world. And um, so adaptogens can have very specific benefits. And it doesn't matter. We're talking about professional athletes, but you don't have to be a professional athlete. You can be doing yoga. You could be an active gardener. You can be doing physical work that's just very physically active. For people who are active, the funny thing is adaptogens can work for people who are active and people who are couch potatoes. Mm -hmm. Although I would say they probably work better for people who are active. And that brings me to one very important point. With adaptogens, adaptogens are not panaceas. You know, when people promote herbs, they say, oh, they're good for everything. Nothing is good for everything. There are no panaceas. Adaptogens are a highly useful category of herbs, but adaptogens do not replace foundational things. So adaptogens do not replace a lack of adequate sleep. So you need adequate sleep and good quality sleep. You know, in 1910, the average American got more than nine hours sleep a night. Now, the average American gets less than seven hours sleep a night. In the intervening 100 years, we have not evolved to need less sleep. We're just chronically sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. So an adaptogen is not a replacement for adequate and good quality sleep. It's not a replacement for a good diet. It is not a replacement for uh, adequate exercise or healthy lifestyle choices. But adaptogens most definitely can help us whether we are in a situation where we're working in a really stressful job and we're, you know, we're trying our best to get enough sleep and eat well and things like that. Uh, adaptogens can help us, you know, when there's like a new baby in the house and we're not mm -hmm. sleeping enough. Adaptogens can help us when we're in college and we're having to study for finals. So adaptogens can really be a very, very healthy part of a lifestyle, but we don't want to use them as a crutch to continue to, you know, think that our bad, we can just keep our bad habits and, you know, get away with it. Right. Like to close the gap and mm -hmm. everything. Great. Well, this has been wonderful information and some great advice. And we appreciate you having on, having you on. Some uh, information you can get on David's website is called herbalstudies.net. And we look forward to your next visit. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mother's Market radio show and for shopping at Mother's Market. The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. <laughs>